Today on Blue 58, a week after getting destroyed by a pair of great linebackers, the Packers have added a linebacker themselves. Let's talk about that position in general and how it could help the Packers overall. Then if the Packers are going to add talent on offense, a trade seems like the most likely route. And as we're approaching the trade deadline, let's talk about a couple guys who could be targets. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Mirdick. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. A couple announcements first before we get started. Uh, I'm a, a, First, I want to apologize that this episode is coming out a little bit later than usual. Usually you should wake up on a Wednesday morning and have it in your feed. It's a, it's a couple hours later than usual. I had a bit of a family situation last night. It involved uh, a toddler and a surprising amount of vomit, and I will leave it at that. Um, he's doing all right now, but it was, a, it was a mess there for a little while. Secondly, uh, our last episode was episode number 350. That's an interesting milestone. Uh, nothing significant about that number in particular, just kind of neat. I wanted to thank you, everybody, for continuing to stick with us for all these many, many episodes. So we are now in our fifth season of this. It's a lot of fun. And I uh, do like to, to just take a second whenever we hit one of those big round numbers to take a second and uh, just thank you for being along for the ride. So that's that's a lot of fun. Thirdly, there is a new post up on Patreon. You know, if you are a listener of this show, that there are a number of stats that we track via thepowersweep.com. Uh, I would say unconventional stats, semi-advanced stats, and they are saying some interesting things about the Packers so far this year. So if you are a Patreon supporter, that should be in your email inbox already. If you're not... Give that a look. Check it out. Uh, We are also going to be doing weekly NFL picks via the Patreon, uh, so you can see how I am picking a week's slate of games every Thursday uh, this season. So that is another feature we're adding there as well. In general, uh, we're trying to get more content up there, so if that is something that you are interested in, it's a dollar a month. You can support the show and get a little extra content as well. All right, let's talk about linebackers. Late yesterday, the Packers signed linebacker James Burgess. Six feet tall, 230 pounds, has had eight different stints with seven NFL teams since 2016. Call those guys good enough to get an invite, not good enough to stay. But he was pretty productive with the Jets in 10 games last year. 80 tackles, an interception, five passes defense, one forced fumble, half a sack, and eight tackles for loss. For comparison... Blake Martinez, in 16 games with the Packers last year, had 155 tackles, so not matching that, but he had an interception, two passes defense, a fumble force, three sacks, and five tackles for loss. Mr. Burgess is kind of a marginal athlete in the fives range on relative athletic score. No real physical attributes that jump out. Probably looking at a special teamer primarily to start, but maybe looking at a, a slight upgrade over, over Ty Summers. That's the good side of it. The bad side is I don't really know what the appeal is. Probably better than the guy they've kicked around so far. Uh, Summers just isn't getting it done. Dijon Harris on the, the practice squad is kind of just a younger version of, of Burgess here. So this move isn't doing a lot for me. About the most interesting thing about him is that his dad was one of the best linebackers in the brief history of the XFL, also named James Burgess. But... By and large, it seems like the Packers are more or less the same now that they were before this move. But I've been thinking about linebackers the last couple days. I wonder if the position in general might be undervalued. 
both by the Packers specifically and the league generally. The Packers don't value linebackers. I think that's pretty clear. And when we're, we're talking about linebackers here, we're not talking about outside linebackers, edge rushers. In a 4-3 defense, you have outside linebackers who are not rushing off the edge. You might hear them talked about as stack linebackers. Basically, it falls into off-the-ball linebackers, guys who are not trying to cross the line of scrimmage to make a play on the quarterback as a general rule. In the past 20 years, the Packers have invested very little in the way of resources into this position. And I know this is not news to anybody, but I'd just like to review it as part of of what we're talking about here. It's a pretty short list if you look at guys that they've drafted in the fourth round or earlier. Let's just let's just re refresh our memories here. Dating back to 2000, here's the linebackers, the off the ball linebacker types the Packers have drafted in the fir- or in the fourth round or earlier. Niall Diggs in the fourth, Torrance Marshall in the third, Nick Barnett in the first, Abdul Hodge in the third, AJ Hawk in the first, Jake Ryan in the fourth, and Blake Martinez in the fourth. If it seems like most of those guys are in the early 2000s, you are reading that correctly. A.J. Hawk is the most recent high draft pick at inside linebacker, and he was all the way back in 2006. Since then, they've not spent higher than a fourth-round pick on an off-the-ball linebacker. And I think it's pretty clear that they're getting what they pay for. There is a lack of playmaking in the middle of the Packers' defense, And I'm not sure what they could have done recently to fix it outside of making a first-round pick, and we'll get to that in a second. The Packers could be better at linebackers had they just retained Blake Martinez. And I was against re-signing Blake Martinez, but I think it's more complicated than that. I was talking about this with someone the other day. Does adding Blake Martinez back to the Packers' defense right now make their linebacking group better? I think yes, unquestionably. But does adding Blake Martinez back to the Packers' defense make their defense better? I think the answer on that one is no. And I think that's because of where the position is going in the league as a whole right now. I think linebackers are getting a bit of an image rehab league-wide right now. Look at what the Buccaneers did to the Packers with Levante David and Devin White. Look what the 49ers are doing with their off-the-ball linebackers. Look at what the Seahawks have been doing for a long, long time. It's athletic, bigger-bodied guys, not big guys, not in the, in the way that we would think about like truly old-school off-the-ball linebackers, not your six-foot three, 250-something pound off-the-ball linebacker. But guys that are bigger than safeties and yet fast enough to make plays in the, in, the, in the middle of the field. And really, I guess looking at the position, why would you not want somebody like that on the field? My colleague Paul Noonan at Acme Packing Company laid out some good points on this. If you have a fast inside linebacker, you can destroy lateral offenses. We saw that with the with the Buccaneers on Sunday. The Packers could not run wide zone because Levante David and Devin White would beat them to the spot. They were that fast. 
The outside zone run scheme is not complicated, but it works well because if you get everybody executing at a high level, it's hard to it's hard not to get blocked, put it that way. But if you know where the weak spots are and you can beat them to the punch, as David and White did, you can bring the whole thing crashing down. Secondly, Paul says, if they can cover, they allow you to stay in your base more often and not get destroyed against the run. This is the problem we see with the Packers all the time. They like to go lighted inside linebacker, partly because they don't have a great one who can cover very well, so they put a safety there, and then they just get run over by teams that want to do power. Finally, the middle of the field is the most efficient place to pass. If you've got a guy there who can cover well and allow you to stay in base and is fast enough to get sideline to sideline and stop the the wide schemes, you've really taken away an effective area of the field for opposing offenses to throw the ball. That was another thing we saw on Sunday. The Packers have loved to run those crossing routes, saw some of that early, and it worked fairly well. But that dried up as the game went on, in part because Tampa had such good linebackers that they could just sit back in coverage if they knew they weren't going to run and just dare them to throw in front of them. I'm wondering if this is the size correction I've thought was coming in the NFL for some time now. We've talked about this in passing a couple times on the podcast because it hasn't been particularly relevant to the Packers because they've never really gone with the full small ball sort of approach. But the NFL over the past, I would say, six to eight, maybe seven to ten years has been trending smaller. Smaller, faster defenses to combat spread offenses, more pass-happy offenses, and things like that. But the NFL is cyclical in that things are always going to be coming back into fashion. And that 2018 Super Bowl, when the Patriots just bludgeoned the Rams with two tight end sets and a lot of power running, kind of marked a sea change, I think, towards bigger, more powerful offenses. I think the proliferation of the Shanahan tree wide zone offense is the not quite power football version of that same trend. Running demands bigger bodies. And if more teams are going with a run-based scheme, not necessarily run-oriented, but run-based scheme, they're going to get bigger as as a result. The Packers are certainly part of that trend. Look what they do with their receivers. Look at their personnel groupings. They want to play bigger. So defense are getting, defenses are getting bigger to counter that. And the Packers seem to be behind the trend on that right now. Other teams with effective defenses are building their defenses around a strong defensive line and linebackers who can make plays behind it. The Packers have part of that equation. They've got some talented players in the front seven. Kenny Clark is Kenny Clark. And Zadarius and Preston Smith, at least maybe Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary, should be enough to hold the point of attack against the run. The guys behind them should be able to make better plays. And the Packers are currently behind that trend in the NFL as far as having big bodies who can make plays behind their defensive line. And when I say big bodies, again, I'm not talking about the old school 250, 260-pound thumper inside linebacker. I'm talking a guy who's at 230, 
to 240 pounds and is fast enough to be faster than a tight end. That's about all you're looking for. The Packers don't have anybody like that. They had an opportunity to add somebody like that in the draft this spring. Patrick Queen out of LSU kind of fits that hybrid model pretty well. Bigger than a safety, smaller than a traditional linebacker, but still big enough to take up room in the in the middle of the field. Patrick Queen out of LSU, a lot of people thought would be the pick when the Packers moved up from 30 to 26. Unfortunately, they went with Jordan Love in that situation, who doesn't help their defense all that much right now. But there was an opportunity there. And there were a couple others throughout the throughout the rest of the the draft. Taking A.J. Dillon right ahead of Willie Gay Jr. is another one. But I think this is going to be a bit of a problem for the Packers in the near future. And I don't know if it's going to get any better anytime soon. At the very least, I think this is an interesting development league-wide. And something we'll have to track over the next couple of years, watching how other teams are deploying their linebackers. There is at least one other team on the Packers' schedule who could provide them some trouble with this same formula. I'm looking at the Indianapolis Colts a little over a month from now, about a month from now. They've got a pretty strong defensive line and Darius Leonard making plays behind it. We'll see if the Packers can learn from what they saw from the Buccaneers on Sunday when they head into that game. Regular emailer George had a good question about adding talent on offense. He says, without Lazard... Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown are required to play more than a complementary role, and they may not be suited to being more than a third or fourth receiver. Absent Tyler uh, Tyler Irvin, the offense isn't as dynamic. I suggest that the addition of a playmaker is needed, and I think this game, the Buccaneers game, provides support for that view. Brian Gutekunst needs to add a speedy slot receiver to open more underneath for Adams and Lazard when he returns. My favorite option is John Ross. But there are others like Will Fuller or Brandon Cooks that could provide the same speed and field spacing option. What do you think about adding talent that way? First, as always, thank you for the question. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com or the contact page at thepowersweep.com are your best bets. I find that we get uh, can have the best dialogue there with those questions. But as always, reach out however you can find the show. I think there is something to the idea of the Packers adding some talent via a trade Unfortunately, the options are seem to be relatively few and far between. Like George, I think the Packers need a specific type of player here. I would like somebody with some speed. I would like somebody who can do the Tyler Irvin-style jet sweep role. Other than Irvin, we haven't seen anybody really do that stuff in the Packers' offense since week one. The Packers did it with... Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling a little bit, but haven't really done it with anybody but Irvin since then. I think, as George points out, there's an option to do some stuff like that with another receiver. So let's talk about a couple of the guys that he mentions here. I think these are some of the most likely trade options, but I'll throw a couple other names at you too. John Ross, I think, is worth at least considering at a conceptual level. For the pros, he's very fast, very, very fast, 4-2-2 in the 40-yard dash type spacing, fast, and he could probably slot into the Tyler Irvin role pretty seamlessly. All you need to do is use his speed there. It'll keep the defenses honest, and you give him the ball occasionally and say, how fast can you run with it? 
The cons to John Ross is that the traditional wide receiver production really isn't there. His quarterback situation hasn't been great since he came into the league, but you'd think he'd have a little bit more production as one of the top picks in the draft four years ago. George also mentions Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks, both with the Houston Texans. The pros to both are pretty obvious, both productive, both fast guys. Cons here, why would Houston give up either one of them? That's their top two wide receivers. They're also fairly expensive. Caps hit, cap hits in the $8 million range for both of them. And Cooks is only going up. He has cap hits of 12 13 and $14 million in each of the next three years in Houston. But sticking with the same team, I think Kenny Stills is worth considering. The pros to acquiring Kenny Stills is that he is much more gettable than either Fuller or Cooks. Houston seems to have forgotten about him almost entirely. He's a very small part of their offense, but over the past two years, he's been pretty productive. 77 catches, 1,100 yards or so, and 10 touchdowns with Miami and Houston. His cap hit is a bit of a con too, though. He comes in at $7 million for this year and is an unrestricted free agent after this year. So that factors into whatever you're getting up, giving up to require him. I also like the Kenny Stills trade because of just a little bit of symmetry there. His dad, Ken Stills, played for the Packers in the mid to late 80s and uh, was pretty okay. And that would be an interesting story to follow. The most likely and probably best prospect is quite frustrating for me. And this is one reason I'm glad that we didn't record until this morning. Because had I sat down when I was actually going to record this, this would have been even a more frustrating situation. What if the Packers didn't have to trade anybody to get this exact situation anyway? What if they could have just put somebody already in the building into that Tyler Irvin role and had a little bit more speed and playmaking ability on their offense already? His name was Robert Foster. That is not a Fight Club reference. His name was Robert Paulson, but it sounded like one. Anyway, Robert Foster stuck around on the Packers practice squad for the entire season so far, and the Packers never once tried to put him into the Tyler Irvin role, as that role seems to be only for Tyler Irvin. But Foster had deep speed, was productive in small roles in Buffalo, and could have provided at least something different for the Packers at wide receiver to this point in the season. Foster could have run jet motion, and you don't have to memorize a bajillion routes to be productive in that role. You run from one side of the field to the other. You turn it upfield and go deep. That's what Tyler Irvin has done for the Packers. And he's even been fairly productive doing that in the few times they've actually given him the ball. Unfortunately, the Washington football team seems to have thought the same thing, and Robert Foster wasn't willing to stick around and say, maybe I'll get a role here in Green Bay eventually. He is off to Washington now, and the Packers are down probably the one interesting prospect actually on the practice squad outside of Reggie Bagleton. So if the Packers are going to add one of these playmaking types, it pretty much has to be a trade at this point. I think these are a few interesting options that George lays out. 
And I would just like to see the Packers at least have something different there and try somebody else, maybe a wide receiver, in that Tyler Irvin type role. Maybe that's John Ross. Maybe that's Kenny Stills. Maybe it's somebody else who isn't on this list. If there's a wide receiver you'd like us to take a look at, let me know. We'll get to that. Finally, after our discussion about David Bakhtiari and potential short to long-term replacements if his injury situation turns out to be worse than it, it looks like, Dave writes in and asks, why not play John Runyon at left tackle? He was all Big Ten at left tackle at Michigan. You know, I think there's something to this idea. The Packers would probably like to see Rick Wagner flame out there first. They also have Yash Nyman as a potential prospect at left tackle. But I think there should be more to the idea of John Runyon at least getting a look there. The knock on Runyon is that he's a little bit undersized and maybe not a great enough athlete to play at left tackle. I don't think that argument actually holds water. Here's why. Previously, the Packers have played college left tackle J.C. Treader at guard and then bumped him out to tackle in an emergency situation. Treader was six foot four and 307 pounds. His athletic testing numbers were 5.09 seconds in the 40-yard dash, a vertical of 29 and a half inches. And decent numbers in the broad jump, three cone, shuttle, and bench. John Runyon is six foot four and three hundred and six pounds. He ran the forty in five point oh eight seconds at a vertical leap of thirty and a half inches, and had numbers within two inches, five bench press reps, and hundredths of a second in all of the other measurables to J.C. Treader. Treader was considered a little bit undersized to play tackle, but he got the job done when the Packers needed him. More to the point, David Bakhtiari is almost the exact same size and has almost the exact same testing numbers as Runyon and Treader. Runyon may not be a long-term option at left tackle, but I think given the the value differences between guards and tackles, wouldn't you at least try to see that he couldn't play left tackle first? I love Yash Nyman as much as the next guy, probably more. He may be the best overall athlete on the Packers right now if you look at his testing numbers and his size. But Runyon may be a good addition to the conversation there too. Why not at least try it and see if it doesn't work. I know they've signed Rick Wagner, and I know they feel a level of obligation there to him, but if he can't get the job done and you need a long-term replacement for David Bakhtiari, why not try every option you got? So I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you taking the time to listen in here and check us out. If you like this show and you think somebody else might benefit from it as well, uh, go ahead and give it a share. Uh, help us grow this conversation we're having around the Packers. And that conversation also includes stuff going on on Patreon. want to give that one more plug here. Uh, there's a new article up there for you to check out if you are a Patreon subscriber. If you're not, you can be one for just a dollar per month, and you can uh, get access to the extra content we're posting there as well. In the meantime, continue to share this podcast with people you think might benefit from hearing it. That's going to help us grow this conversation around the Packers and help us ultimately all become Smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.